uh, find with me the book of Hosea. And Hosea, you might be thinking, where is that in my Bible? It is the 28th book in the Old Testament. It is the first of what we call the minor prophets. While they are minor in their scope of writing total, they are significant in their content. And uh, I have, because of Mike's hard work and dedication behind me, a slide of the list of those 12 minor prophets. They start with the book of Hosea and run through the end of the Old Testament. We are not going to verse by verse through 12 books just because the sake of time. But we are going to take a week or two and look at each individual book uh, because we are going to be starting the book of Mark on Sunday morning uh, once 2 Samuel is up. And so I would like to start 1 Kings on Sunday night to follow through with the story of David's family. And I really can't start 1 Kings on Sunday night until we have finished 2 Samuel on Sunday morning. And so as I have been praying, the Lord led us here. Uh, we are, in the 11 and a half years that I have been here, we are only five books away from preaching through the entire New Testament. The problem is, those are five long and controversial books. And so I have put them off as long as I possibly could. But uh, we are slowly making our way. And so we see here in these books, in the Old Testament, if you had a, a Jewish Bible, our 39 books are broken up into 22 to 24 depending on which ones you look at. And those 24 books are the exact same as our 39 books in the Old Testament. But the 12 books that we are going to look at are all wrapped up into one larger work. This is important because when you and I begin to think of the Old Testament and what is the Old Testament Scripture? Is it the 39 books that we have? Is it the 39 plus the Apocrypha that the Catholic Church holds to. Uh, we know that when Jesus walked upon this earth, when He referenced the Old Testament, He referenced the Old Testament belief that the Jewish people held that these 39 books, which would have been 22 to 24 scrolls, were the Scripture. And so you can believe when you read these books that they are the Word of God. They are inspired. They are inerrant. They are infallible. And so uh, Hosea is a book that most people do not want to talk about because it has some very difficult things in it. Uh, some very difficult things about the simple fact that God had a message for His people. And the way that He thought it was best, and it was best, was to tell this prophet, a man of God, to go marry a woman who would be a harlot. Now commentators are very divided on was she a harlot before he married her or not. I believe she was not, but he told her that she would be. And the reason I believe that is because when God had a relationship and a covenant with the nation of Israel, at that moment they were on level footing. God said, this is what I'll do if you will do this part. And after that, they begin to break that covenant. Um, but when this book is written, it's written about 200 years after the kingdom of Israel has tore itself apart. And uh, you and I are studying that in First and Second Samuel. King David rules over this united kingdom that is constantly fighting. His son Solomon then rules over a united kingdom. But Solomon's son, uh, that kingdom is tore in, in half uh, with ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. 
But I want to read to you that story in 1 Kings chapter 12, if you have your Bible with you. In 1 Kings chapter 12, Solomon has died, and this is the setting. Starting in verse 16, Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, and listen if you remember this saying from this morning, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. The very same thing they had told David in their rebellion was the rallying cry of this generation. I want you to see that, that rebellion never changes. Sin never changes. It is just recycled and recycled and recycled. But Rehoboam raved over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones. So King Rehoboam, Solomon's son, says, You go, enforce this, bring it back into the fold. And they stoned him to death. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back. They sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel. So Rehoboam comes home and says, we're going to mount an army just like my grandfather did. We're going to march into these people and we're going to beat them into submission, bring the kingdom back together. But don't miss this. That he might restore the kingdom of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But in verse 22, But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. So 200 years have passed since God told King Rehoboam, don't go fight him, let him go. Might be a word of advice for some of you tonight to quit fighting for people that God has said, let go. But we see here that Hosea prophesies about the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. He prophesies about things like they're going to be destroyed by their enemies, which happened in 722. But the overall theme of what the problem was, was this simple truth. is the Hebrew word for knowledge, yada, which means something that he says over and over in this book. And what it means is it's a knowledge that's more than just intellectual, but it's a relationship. And the accusation for the children of the northern kingdom was this. You know about God, but you do not know Him. 
over and over again, Hosea says these same words. You know of Him, but you do not know Him. And God wants a relationship with His people, not people just knowing about Him. Today I want to challenge you that as we look at this, that threat is still the same. A church of this size, there are many people who are here with a knowledge of God, but not a relationship with God. They could quote to you the Old Testament Scripture, the books of the Bible maybe, but yet do not know the author. There are people who know how we conduct business meetings. There are people who know where their Sunday school class is. There are people who maybe even enjoy sitting in those classes, but yet they do not know the Lord. Even on a night like tonight, the backbone of our church who sit in this congregation here tonight, there are many of you, some of you, hopefully very few of you, that know about God, know about the things of God. But I would challenge you tonight, do you really know Him? Do you have a thriving relationship with Him? In Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, listen to what the writer tells us. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. What he says is you don't know God and you're not willing to show mercy. Friends, I think this goes hand in hand. Because tonight, if you're not willing to show mercy, I don't care what they've done, what they've said, how much pain they've caused you, you cannot truly know God. You say, Jake, I'm not comfortable showing mercy. Get over it. Get alone with God. Whatever it takes, days of fasting, days of prayer, accountability. Because what he says is, when you know God, and you've been shown the mercy of God, you might not like it, And it might make sense, but those who want mercy had better show mercy. And he says that's not what's going on in the nation of Israel. He says it's all about a show. You come and worship God in front of everybody, but deep down there's no love for God. There's no love for your fellow Israelites. And today in this church, I want to encourage you that if you claim to know Him, And if you claim to have a relationship with Him, the attributes that you love about Him, hopefully you have. That willing to forgive, that willing to show mercy, that willing to to love those that are broken and hurting, the willing to see the best in people, the willingness to, to give people the benefit of the doubt, those things is what He's saying here. There's no truth and there's no mercy and there is no knowledge. Think about what the New Testament writers say. If you want to worship God, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. He says you're not worshiping God with integrity. You're not worshiping God with mercy. And you're not worshiping God because there is no relationship with Him. If you break this book down into just a couple things, and we will, and thanks again for Mike to putting these together. I was going to make you go home and write them down and take notes, but thanks for making them be lazy. No, I'm just kidding. In verses one through chapters 1 through 3, we see that Hosea is given the order to marry this woman. It's all about marriage, it's all about adultery, and it's all about restoration. And it is a picture because God wants the people to see that what Hosea is going through is the same thing that he is going through. 
For instance, the marriage, this beautiful relationship that was entered into in a covenant. God did the same thing for them. He had rescued them from Israel. He had taken them to Mount Sinai and He made a covenant with them. A covenant just like a man and woman makes standing before God. And if you remember, God asked them to be faithful. To have no other gods before Him. And you can read the Ten Commandments. And He went on to promise that He said, if you will honor this commandment, I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will be faithful and true because that's who I am. Just like when Hosea and his wife made their wedding vows to have and to hold and to love and to nurture. You say, Jake, how do you know that? Because we know in the Old Testament that uh, infidelity, these sins that we see in this passage of Scripture were punishable by death. And so what we see here is the promise. But if you remember the children of Israel went into the land and began to worship false gods. And throughout this book it is constantly referenced that they have worshipped the gods of the land. And so just like Hosea's wife who went and married her, the nation of Israel ran and committed adultery on God. But yet, when we see this, we know that even though she has ran away from Hosea, he has to literally go and buy her back, pay her debts, whatever that means. He never stopped pursuing her. And God said, she runs, you go. He run, she runs, you go. And God said, that is a picture to how I love my people. That while they might run from me, while they may abandon me, that I am faithful. That I am a God who is faithful to my covenant. We know though that God's love, compassion, and faithfulness is on display throughout this book. We know that He talks about the fact that they will be defeated and dispersed. But we know that even though they're going to fall, face judgment, the nation is going to be ruined, that God promised a future. A future king who would reign over Israel. I never gave much thought to the book of Revelation until I started studying it. And now that I'm studying the Old Testament, I am so much more confident that it is accurate. The fact that one of these days Jesus is going to come back and destroy His enemies and set up a kingdom for a thousand years on this earth. Why? Because it says that He is coming back to the same people in the same place that have mocked Him, that have ruined their relationship with God. And so while we see this brokenness, we see this pain that God says, no matter how far you run, I will follow you. No matter how far you wander, I will love you. In verses, chapters 4 through 10, we see the accusations and the warnings he talks about the fact that they rejected the Ten Commandments. That they were going to temples to worship. The fact that they worshipped with ultimate hypocrisy. The fact that they had allied themselves with military powers instead of trusting with God. They had ran to the Egyptians. They had ran to the different countries and said, we need you to support us. We need you to defend us. And God says, all you needed was me. But in verse 11, we again see chapter 11, there's hope. He gives this beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture about how they were going to go through so much that God would not abandon them. Chapters 12 and 13, uh, the writer uh, brings up all of Israel's past. It's one of those moments when someone stands up and gives a list of all their grievances against you. Friends, I would say tonight that you and I need to be very aware of this. Because why? God says everything they've done wrong 
and said, I'm willing to forgive you. If you're struggling with forgiving someone, I want you to do something for me tonight. I want you to fill it out on a paper, everything you have against it, and then burn it. And then begin to ask God to take it away. He brings up the fact that Jacob was a liar and was a treacherous person. He brings up the fact that Israel had rebelled in the wilderness. He brings up the fact that Israel had chose a king by the name of Saul instead of trusting the plan of God. But in chapter 14, he tells them your only answer is to repent. But he also says there's nothing you can do to be good enough to fulfill this covenant, but that God has an answer. And so the book ends in Hosea 14 verse 9 with this verse. This is just the introduction, but the sermon is extremely short, okay? Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. What he's saying is you might think this book is just for Israel, just for the Jewish people, but don't mistake that. God's truth are applicable to all people, the righteous or the wicked. And so that is the overview of the book as we look through chapter 1 tonight. And I hope that you'll take notes is this. God has a purpose and a plan even if it makes no sense. God has a purpose and a plan even if it makes no sense. Look here in verses 1 and 2 with me. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Barai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. He's just talking about his ministry, who all he was uh, preaching to, and when they were the kings, and all of those things. But in verse 2 we see, When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea... Now I want you to stop here for just a minute. We think about John getting the revelation, right? On the island of Patmos and the excitement. And we hear the joy in his prophecy and in the joy of what God tells him. But can you imagine finally hearing God audibly speak to you? And these are the words that he tells you? Not I was taken up into heaven and I seen the Lord sitting on his throne. Not I watched the the, the Lord coming back on His great white horse to destroy His enemies. Not I saw a new heaven and a new earth descending down. But it says, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry. Now I don't know about questioning God, but I would have probably said, Is my hearing aid up? And the children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. You see, friends, these are one of these moments when you have to ask yourself the question, am I allowed for God to turn up the heat in my relationship with Him for His glory? Am I allowing God, am I willing to allow you to take me through the worst of valleys that you might be glorified in my life? God, am I willing to go through the greatest storms so that you can get the most glory in my life? And before you and I get really spiritual about this, let's just be real clear. No. Most of us would say, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to go through persecution. I don't want to go through difficulty. I don't want to go through pain. 
I don't want to marry a woman who is going to rip the heart out of me repeatedly and then have to go and bring her home and go and bring her home. But look what he says there. Go and take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. And if you don't know what harlotry is, I'm not explaining it like I did this morning. I've already got enough grief. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. He says, what I'm going to do is not for you, but it's for this whole people. We always ask ourselves, at least I try to do, God, am I willing to be poured out for your people? Am I willing to be poured out for the cause of Christ? Like Paul said, as, as being a drink offering. As Paul said, I would give up my own salvation so that the, the, the people of God might be saved. And I am nowhere near that. I'm not giving up my ticket for heaven for anybody. I just can't can't even wrap my head around it. But yet here he is saying the nation is heading for destruction. I am needing a man to stand in the gap and to hear the message that they need. Are you willing to be him? I would say yes, Lord, if I cannot get married. Paul said if you can stay single, it's better to be single than be married. I can handle that. Choose a life of celibacy. Lord, but don't make me marry a woman who is going to run off and do this. But we see that even though it makes no sense, you say, I understand it. No, you don't. There is no way you read this verse and in your mind say, yep, that makes sense. But when you think that God's ways are higher than ours and that God has a bigger picture for His people and His messengers, then you get to the point where you say, God, I might not understand it, but I'm going to trust you. This wasn't like He married her and didn't know. God told him up front, this is what it will be. And Hosea said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Before I became a pastor, I spent about a year and a half with my predecessor. We met every week, two times a week, and he talked about church. The good, the bad, the ugly, problems, heartache, the pain, all of those things. And for that year and a half, I really thought, I understand. I understand what you're selling, buddy. I got this. I don't want the job. You can stay and I'll help you. I don't know how many times I said that. And the fact that he's pastored two times since then ought to be brought up regularly when he's here, all right? But I never knew what it was like to watch someone that you have served with walk through the fire with, leave and talk all kinds of lies about you. Never dreamed it until it happened. Never dreamed what it was like to sit beside people and and watch them bury loved ones and counsel them through their marriage problems and, and, and go through the most awful moments in life and then get angry, fight and argue because they didn't like the color of a door that we put on. I can't imagine it. And if I knew now what I know then, if God hadn't made me, I would have not. And half the time I tell God I would do anything else. But to hear this, I cannot even begin to say, I think I'd sign up for that. I think I could do that. Marriage is hard enough the way it is, let alone knowing this. Marriage is a struggle anyway, knowing this. Ministry is hard knowing The things that you know, let alone this. That is one of the great things that I have. That my wife 
I, I trust her. I rely on her. Our marriage is not always great, but it is not something that I worry about. But to know that at some point I'm going to come home and she's going to be away with a different man or different men. And I know that day is coming. Can you imagine coming home every day with that? Every day, I, this could be the day. This could be the day. The fear and the anxiety and the stress, but yet, God had a purpose and a plan. Second thing I want to show you tonight is that God loves His people and wants to warn them. That is why I believe in the grace and mercy of God. That is why I believe that God wants to save sinners. Because we see the heart that He has to reach wayward people. It starts in verse 3, And so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Rahumah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Rahum, she conceived and bore a son, then God said, Call his name, Lo am I, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now there are some great disagreements in these verses. Some people believe that she was unfaithful before they were married. Some people struggle with was the kids fathered by Hosea or not. And all of that I can't answer. I, I just you can believe whatever you want. It doesn't matter. All right. But what we see here is all three of these children are given names that have a meaning. If you have a MacArthur Study Bible, you can see it right below there. Jezreel means that God will scatter. He was telling them that there is coming a time when the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, is going to be scattered to the ends of the earth. He was warning the people that judgment was coming. The second name can mean to show no pity or no favor. That all the blessings that God had given them, all the protection, all the land, all the blessings, all those things that God was removing them for a season. They would not have the privileges and the blessings that they had enjoyed in the land. And the third child's name means not my people. That for this period of time, while I am their God, I am going to let them go through this like I am not. Many people think this is a reference to the church, that the Lord will work through the church during the church age, and then at the beginning of the tribulation period, the Lord will then focus back on the Jewish people after the rapture. That is what I believe. But He says, I am not your God in this season. I think that's an overwhelming thing, because what He is doing to them is He is warning them. Just like a preacher today gets up here and stands and preaches the Word of God and talks about the things of God and warns you about the things of God, he is to name his children this. One, once again, 
Can you imagine telling your wife, this is the names of our children and this is what they mean? I cannot imagine this. His marriage is about God trying to reach people. His children are about trying to meet people, reach people. And many times we think that this is extreme and it is the farthest of extremes. But I don't think it is much different than what the Lord has for us now. That we are to love our wives like Christ loves the church. And wives, we are to submit to our husbands. Why is that? Because marriage is a picture of God's relationship to the church. And when that relationship is broken, the world looks at us and says, what is your relationship with the Father? What is your relationship with God? And so He calls us to have marriages that are used by Him. We also know that the Bible tells us to train our children up in the ways of the Lord. That we train them and when they're old they shall not depart. Deuteronomy will teach about training them as they go and writing it. Why? Because God wants our children to be raised up to be a generation that is being used by Him. And so when someone tells me, well God gave me a talent or God gave me ability but I can't use it, what I always say is in my mind, suck it up buttercup. You could be Hosea. I don't want to sing. I don't want to teach. I don't want to visit. I don't want to go on mission trips. Maybe God will tell you to marry a harlot. You say, well, Jake, what about my kids? What if God sends me to the mission field? Or what if God sends one of my kids to be missionaries? Or what if God calls one of my children to be a pastor? Or what if God tells my kid that he wants to move into the east side of St. Louis and start a church to reach people? What if it's too much? It's nothing compared to the great picture that God has for people. And when you begin to read this book and read the Word of God, that God's message is one of mercy and grace, one of love and compassion that is always trying to bring His wayward children home, it shows you the heart of God. The third and final thing that I have for you tonight is the last part of this chapter because when you read through these names, you get very discouraged. But in verses 10 and 11 in the first verse of chapter 2, we see that God will be faithful even when His people are not. You see, God could have said, you broke your end of the covenant, I'm done. I could have, you have broken your end of this agreement. Just like Hosea could have said, she has broken her end of this marriage. He didn't have to go get her. Legally, he could have divorced her. Legally, he could have brought her before the people to be stoned, which was pretty much not happening at this day and age. But yet he could have. But yet God said, I want you to give up all of your rights and your privileges to do what I've asked you to do. I don't know about you, but can you imagine what church would be like if we could give up what we wanted for what was best? Can you imagine how many different things could get done for the kingdom of God if we would put our selfish desires and ambition aside and said, Lord, whatever you want. Lord, whatever you ask of us. Because in verses 10, 11, and verse 1, it says these words. Yet. So he said, even though you're going to be scattered, even though I'm not going to bless you, even though for this season I'm not going to identify with you, yet. It means it's not the end. Yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea which cannot be measured or numbered. He reminisces to the promises that he's made in the Old Testament. And it shall come to pass in the place 
where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. That is why I believe that it will happen in a physical Israel. You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. One nation. And appoint for themselves one head. And what most Bible scholars believe, this is the Messiah. Jesus Christ. For great will be that day of Jezreel. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. You see, that's the heart of God. To show mercy to His people. To show mercy to you. To show mercy to me. But yet God, mercy. And even though it is unfailing, even though it is new every day, does not mean that God does not correct His people. I believe one of the greatest heartbreaks in the church today is the simple fact that we have stopped teaching people that God corrects His own. That God corrects His own. You say, Jake, I've been living in sin for years and I've never been convicted. You are probably not a Christian. You say, Jake, that's a bold statement. Well, my Bible says the Word of God never returns void. It always accomplishes its purposes. You say, well, Jake, I'm struggling with some sins right now and I know I should forgive. I know I should uh, repent. I know I should turn from my wicked ways, but I just can't right now. Friends, if you belong to the Lord, even though He is merciful, He will not erase your name from the Lamb's book of life. He loves you too much for you to stay where you're at. And I believe one of the greatest heartbreaks is this. Most of God's people are going through so many difficulties, so many challenges, so much pain, because they just won't say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. I know that's my problem. I can get prideful. I can get arrogant. I can think the rules don't apply to me. And God has to remind me, Who do you think you are? I'm thankful that even when I'm not faithful, that God is faithful. In the New Testament, we see this very same premise is caught out and taught in the security of the believer. That when God puts you in the palm of His hand, nothing can separate you from Him. That when God calls you His, you are His. But God's ultimate goal for you is to be more and more like Jesus. For other people to be able to see your life and say, I don't know what has happened to them, but they are different than they were before. I don't know what, is, what drives them, but they are kind, they are compassionate. They, they view me as someone who has worth in a world that does not. But I want to say this tonight because the greatest threat that I see is to have a knowledge of God, but to not have a relationship with Him. Proverbs, the 8th chapter, verse 17, the Bible says it like this, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. God says, if you want to be loved by Him, you can be loved by Him. If you want Him to find you to find Him, you can find Him. God has not hidden Himself from you. God has not walled Himself off from you. God proved His love for you. The fact that He sent His only begotten Son to die upon a cross, to hang between heaven and earth and die for the sins of the world.
Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says it like this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And so Ten Mile Baptist Church tonight, I would be unfaithful if I did not call you to love Jesus with all that you have. And tonight, why I love you and have had the wonderful privilege of serving here for over a decade, you and I are not above the corrective plan of God. Tonight, if your commitment to Him has wavered, if your love has become something that has been a ritual, if sin has been creeping into your life and you have been making excuses for it, tonight is the night that God says through Hosea, repent, don't let the correction come. When mercy is available. The greatest illustration I can say to this is this simple truth. When you and I look at our kids and say, if you do that, I am going to spank you on the rear. Now, I know some of you might not say that. That's your own sinful problem. You take it up with the Lord's word. Spare the rod, hate the child, all right? When you tell them that, it is because you are trying to convince them to what? Not do it. Don't do it. It's not like you just don't tell them and you come running up and surprise them. Like, you got your first spanking this morning. You had it coming. I just got ahead of the game. That's not how you parent. You warn them. If you do this, we'll take your privileges away. If you do this, whatever the consequence is, you do it to warn them out of a love for them. And even though they do it, you're still not going to disown them. They're still your child. You still love them. You still want to bless them. That is exactly how God works. He says, here is my words. Here are my commands. And this is the warning that they come with. And so I believe when 1 Corinthians talks about the Lord's Supper, that it's exactly what it means. I believe when a child of God falls into sin and will not repent, God will bring sickness, God will bring pain, and God will even bring death to bring us back. And I don't know about you, but I want my family and me to come to the Lord willingly. Not through that. But if that's what it takes, my heart and my prayer has been, God, bring me to a place where I can say, Lord, whatever it takes. Because I want you to know most days I'm not there. Most days, like, I will go through almost anything for you to reach my family. Lord, I will go through almost anything for you to make me useful. But if I'm honest, there are some things that I don't want to give up. You know how vain I am. I don't even want to lose my hair, all right? So I'm not willing to give up much sometimes. But friends, are you really here tonight saying, God, whatever it takes? God, I am willing to do whatever it takes for you. That's the heart that God can use. And that is a church that God can use. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, you know this was not my choice tonight. As always. But God, I trust your word. I trust there are people tonight that are going through that in this place. I, I pray, pray, Lord, that there are believers that are sitting on the fence. I, I pray tonight, Lord, that knowing that there are those that have been discouraged and have felt forgotten and abandoned by you. But God, tonight I hope that they have heard that you are a God of mercy. God, that you want to use them. God, you want to use them to reach other people. 
God, that you want to use them to make a difference in their family. And God, that even though we might have stumbled and fallen and, and, and drifted from you, that you are willing to welcome us home. Father, tonight I pray for that person that's here that has a head knowledge of you, Lord, that's lost. Lord, tonight show them that when you show them mercy, that they will be willing to show mercy. Lord, for that Christian that's holding on to their sins because of their pride or because of their pain, that tonight would be the night that they would lay it down and say, Lord, I'm yours totally, and whatever happens, I trust you. But Lord, especially tonight, I pray for this congregation, this group of people that mean so much, that Lord, have, have been such a blessing to me and to my family. Lord, that tonight you would reaffirm our commitment and dedication to you. That Lord, whatever it takes to reach McLeansboro, whatever it takes to reach Hamilton County, Lord, whatever it takes to reach Illinois and to the ends of the earth, that we would be willing for you. So, Lord, whatever needs to happen in this place tonight, Lord, I trust you and I thank you. And I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.